Once again, let me just say welcome to, if you're just joining us online, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. At this time, though, we're going to dismiss any kids that want to go to children's ministry. You can just go right out the back there. Miss Beth is out there, and they would love to have you, and they've got a lesson at your age level and really, really cool stuff going on. I've heard the music, and it's insanely catchy, and so I um, want to dismiss them out there at this time, so... Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. It's where we're going to be kind of camped out today. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, if you have ever been in a boat on a lake, you've probably witnessed drifting. Uh, I can remember uh, going out on a lake about a year ago uh, to, to fish. And I was out on, on the boat. And we got to a certain place where we were going to fish, and uh, we started fishing. So I get to work casting. I'm trying to catch that monster bass, and get to work on fishing and reeling and, you know, changing my lures. And pretty soon I look up, and the shore looks different than it did just a minute ago because we had, we drifted. I was paying attention, doing my thing, and look up, and you're in a different spot. It, it's a little disorienting when you're on a boat and that happens. It's like you forget, oh yeah, we're going to drift. You know, of course you are. Um, the shore, you know, was closer than when we'd stopped. We'd turned off the motor. We're sitting in the water, we thought. But in reality, while we thought we were sitting still in the water, we drifted quite a ways from where we had started. Now, how this relates to today is, We, as fallen humans with a sinful nature, have a natural inclination to drift away from God. When left still in the water of our lives, uh, we have a natural inclination to drift away from God. And one of my favorite hymns, uh, Come Thou Fount, there's this line that always gets me whenever we sing it, whenever I'm anywhere and we sing it, and that line is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. You know, today, there are tons of messages coming at us all during the week. They come from everywhere, right? News stations, internet sites, social media, church, podcasts, other people. Sometimes, I sit back and I'm personally, mentally overwhelmed with the amount of information pouring into my brain during the day. But we have to choose which messages that we're going to focus on. And if we're not careful and if we're passive, there's this danger of taking many of these messages and sort of mixing them all together in sort of a worldview soup. And it's a danger that I see all the time. People who claim to follow Christ take an approach whereby they they push aside the hard truths of Scripture and they either replace them or they supplement them with popular cultural teachings that are easier or make them more acceptable to their peers. There is real danger here. There's real danger here. And as soon as you think you're not in danger of this, you're showing that you are in danger of it. See, the writer of Hebrews steps in here and he gives us, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, he gives us the first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. You know, this book is about Jesus is better and throughout the book he gives us these five warnings uh, to, to hold us to that truth 
that Jesus is better. And he, he gives us that truth that Jesus is superior. Jesus is supreme to anything else in order to keep us from falling into these dangers, these five warnings that he gives us. These passages lay before us the hard truth of apostasy, and they hold up warning messages for us to heed so that we stay true to the faith. Now, please understand me. The Bible, and I believe this, the Bible teaches that those who are truly in Christ cannot and will not lose their salvation. Okay? I, you know, I, I, I grew up, most of you guys know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and they had this old phrase that they used a lot. Rick grew up Southern Baptist, he probably knows it. Uh, it uh, and it, it was once saved, always saved, right? I heard it a heard it hundred times. Once saved, always saved. I would amend that as my uh, friend Jody Ratcliffe did years ago, to if saved, always saved. If saved, always saved. You're going to get into what I'm talking about there. But I, I believe that a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Now, John 10, 28 would seem to support that, right? It says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Meaning that not even you can snatch yourself out of his hand once... He has you, right? Now, it's also evident, though, that not everyone who professes Christ, even in the Bible, that not everyone who professes Christ is truly a believer in Christ. For example, there's a guy named Judas. You may have heard of this guy, Judas Iscariot. He traveled around with Jesus. He knew him personally day to day. He even handled the money for that group. No one who was with him would have thought that he was not a true follower until the day he betrayed Christ. Because a tree, we find from the Bible, is revealed as a good tree by its fruit. In the same way, true faith is revealed by the fruit of our lives. So this is serious. This warning passage that we're about to get into is serious. As F.F. Bruce writes this, The truth and teaching of the gospel must not be held lightly. They are of supreme moment. They are matters of life and death and must be cherished and obeyed at all costs. The danger of drifting away from them and so losing them cannot be treated too gravely. With that, let's begin. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 2. I had initially started uh, when I started preparing this and actually all the way up until yesterday as I was going through it and working on it, uh, I had initially planned on us doing verses 1 through 9. But we're cutting that down and we're only going to go through verse 4 this morning. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. And I promise you will think by the time we're done that it's been enough. Let's begin. Verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand it. God, as we come, help us to come to your word. 
with open hearts and open minds so that what we read, we would believe, we would take you at your word, and it would change how we live our lives. Bore it deep into our souls, Lord God. I pray I would be clear, God, that you would clear me out, that if there's anything that's just me, I pray you would clear it out. God, I pray your message for your people from your word would be clear, that you'd help me to explain the meaning clearly, to apply it well. I pray you'd help our hearts to understand and for our lives to be different when we leave here. May I decrease, God, and you increase. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So chapter 2 begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, which should always, that's one of those, those kind of key words or, or transition words or trigger words in the Bible where we look at it and we're like, therefore, and we're like, okay, the old, okay, the old kitschy thing is, you, you know, you, as you say, what's it there for, right? Therefore, what's it there for when you see therefore? Uh, the, the idea is that it should point us back to what came before it in the context being the reason why the author is now telling us this. So last week, we looked at the author's argument for Jesus being greater than the angels, And now, so, because this is true, because Jesus is superior to the angels, because of his divine identity, you need to pay closer attention to this message so you don't drift away. Because Jesus is superior, he deserves to be heard, so listen and pay attention and don't drift away. Now, the Greek word that's used there, and I'm not going to pronounce Greek words for you uh, because you don't care. We're just going to talk about what it means, all right? Uh, The Greek word used there for drift away is actually, it's a nautical term that can be used to describe a ship at sail that has drifted off its course or, or a ship in harbor that has slipped its moorings. In other uses, it can be used to describe when something has slipped from our minds like a ring slips off a finger. Now, when I was a student pastor in Iowa, I would take my students tubing on the river after church a few Sundays during the summer, usually about once a month. It was a great youth activity because it was after church, so they had to come and they had to come to church, right? They come to church, and then they get to then we do like a picnic lunch thing, and then we go tube, and it was a great youth event because it was free. Okay, so every budget's happy, everybody's happy with that. One day, we get out on the river, and we're riding around, and my tube hit a faster area. I'm not going to call it a rapid, because it was in Iowa, okay? Not like we have rapids a lot in Iowa, okay? So we're, we hit this, this faster area where there was a tree down, and it kind of flowed through there, and I kind of went through and kind of got a little hung up. I stood up, and I looked down, and my wedding ring was gone, and I was like, because it had just been there. I didn't feel it go. It was just gone, right? So now, I'm standing in the river, looking through the riverbed like Gollum looking for the one ring. And I didn't find it. So eventually, I got back in my tube. I continue on down the river. Now, this mirrors many of our lives. We feel like we're riding safely down the river in our tubes, and we don't even realize when we're not paying attention, there's other stuff going on, the something truly valuable slipping from our fingers. It brings me to our first main point this morning, which is right out of verse 1. Pay attention. Pay attention. 
The, the Greek word that's translated as pay attention is yet another word that has nautical or boat implications. It's used for holding to a course or setting an anchor. If you don't want to drift off course, you have to hold the ship's wheel on course so that the rudder stays turned so that you keep going in the right way. If you don't want the current to take you, you got to drop the anchor. you got to drop the anchor. So we are supposed to pay attention. Well, the question that ought to come to our minds if we're just kind of breaking it down word by word, sentence by sentence, right, is pay attention. Great. What do we pay attention to? Like, what's the thing that the author of Hebrews wants me to pay attention to? And this first warning is like, hey, pay attention so you don't drift away. What is the thing that he wants me to pay attention to? Well, according to verse 1, the author of Hebrews is exhorting us to pay closer attention to the message that we have heard. The message that we have heard. Remember, he had just argued at length about how Jesus was greater than the angels. And the message they had heard... The message that they had heard that they should pay closer attention to was the message that's all about the Son of God greater than the angels, the message of Jesus, the gospel. The gospel. So we, the message that we have heard, the message that saved us, that brought us to repentance, that secures eternity for us, the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, perfect life, God in the flesh, Fully man, fully God, died on the cross for our sins, in our place, and resurrected that message that we should pay closer, closer attention to that message so that we don't drift from it. So what are we paying closer attention to? The gospel. Second question, why does he want us to listen closer? Why does he want us to listen? Why why should we listen to this message? Why should we pay closer attention to this message? Well, I can tell you what it's not for. It's not to puff ourselves up with theological knowledge for the purpose of winning arguments. Look, I've got bookshelves and bookshelves of books in there, and I've got boxes of books that aren't on those bookshelves, okay? I have books that make me look way smarter than I will ever be, okay? Secret. I haven't read the majority of those books. I buy them faster than I read them. We're not paying attention just so we can get smarter. Okay? Look, theological education, continuing in your discipleship through deep theological education and and learning and studying the deep things of scripture. Absolutely important. You guys know by now, uh, I've been here uh, over a year and a half, be two years in August. I'm sure you know by now that I value the deep things of the Bible, the deep implications of the gospel, the doctrines that we must hold to. But it's not for the purpose of just winning an argument. It's not for the purpose of winning a debate or, or dunking on somebody on Twitter. Ultimately, we aren't paying close attention to the message of the gospel to build our knowledge up. We pay closer attention because that is how we keep from drifting away from it. That's how we stay on course in our sanctification. Jesus accomplished salvation on the cross. 
And we pay closer attention to the message, and it's how we don't drift and we stay closer in our sanctification as we grow more and more like Jesus. Pay attention so that you don't drift, but also because paying attention is the antidote to drifting. Not just pay attention so you don't drift, but if you feel like you're drifting, pay closer attention because that's the antidote is to pay closer attention to the gospel. Do you see the answer is always the gospel? We could try to make it everything else. We could try to make it think, I got to be a better mom. I got to be a better dad. I got to be a better husband. The answer is always the gospel. Okay? I could stand up here and I could smile at you with my teeth blinging and, you know, and tell you to have your best life now, for example. And that's not going to do jack for you. It's just not. The gospel is the antidote to not drifting. Main point number two, if you're taking notes, is from verses two through four, and it is that God holds people accountable. God holds people accountable. Verse two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. First, the message that was declared by angels. What are we talking about there? We're talking about God's law at Sinai, Exodus 19 through 20. Now, Exodus 19 through 20 does not include angels at the giving of the law. Okay, so just heads up there. If you just read Exodus 19 and 20, just by itself, and you didn't take the rest of Scripture into account and into context, which we must do, it doesn't mention that there were angels there. But uh, if you look at some later biblical texts, they refer to the presence of angels. Deuteronomy 33.2 says, He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire in his right hand. And then in Psalm sixty-eight seventeen, it says, The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. So this message delivered first, delivered first uh, by the angels proved to be reliable. And from this reliable message, we find that there was no escape from sins committed. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. One of the words in Greek here, so we've got, we've got, so we've got two words. We've got transgression and disobedience, okay? I think it's interesting because I talk about sins of commission and sins of omission, right? Sins you commit and then sins you you keep from doing what you should do and thereby sin by omitting obedience that you're supposed to have. Well, um, these, these words, interesting, I, I read this. Um, the Greek word, one of them describes a deviation from a boundary, so going, going outside of a boundary, and the other is a refusal to obey. So I think that covers both sins of commission and omission. So even under the law, even under the, the Old Covenant, even under the Mosaic law, 
sins that we committed, that they committed by action, and also sins that we commit by not acting, were not able, under the law, to escape from judgment. Okay, even under that message, given there, you know, Ligon Duncan tells the story of Lance Armstrong. You probably know who Lance Armstrong is, right? Lance Armstrong was an American cyclist who won the Tour de France, which is one of the most important bicycle races in the world. whoop dee He won it seven times. He won it seven. Ligon Duncan didn't say whoop dee That was my own thing. But he won it seven times. He appeared in Olympic races. He was the most famous American cyclist maybe ever. I mean, name another one if you can right? But over the years, he'd been dogged by accusations that he was illegally doping, like using performance-enhancing drugs, that he'd been blood doping to get his oxygen level up so he could perform at a higher level than other cyclists were able to perform, and thus he was, he was cheating. And recently, not recently now, you know that he got stripped of all his titles by the cycling federations in the United States and in the world, And he came under intense legal scrutiny. But if you remember, all along, what did he do? He denied the truth of the allegations, right? Then one day he goes on the show of the high priestess of American culture, Oprah Oprah Winfrey, and he makes a confession to her. And he admitted, he admitted. Now understand He had actually sued people. He had litigated against people who had accused him of illegal blood doping. And there he was and admitting it. Maybe some of you saw that. I wonder what you thought about what you heard there. But here's here's the interesting thing. He wrote an autobiography a few years back. I think it's called It's Not About the Bike. And in that autobiography, at one point, he sort of muses about God. He says he's not affiliated with any particular church, and he's sort of musing on about God. And he says something like this. If I'm going to be judged someday by somebody, and he puts the B in somebody, he capitalizes, okay? By somebody, if there's a judgment for me by somebody... I hope I won't be, I hope it won't be on the basis of what church I've joined or whether I've been baptized, but I hope that he will take into account the whole of my life. Now, I want you to keep in mind what he just said. He hopes that that somebody that would be judging him would take into account the whole of his life. Now, I want to go back to our passage where it says in verse 2 that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. See, received a just retribution, a retribution, a payment for it that is justified, that is good and right and holy and perfect, just just retribution. God's law outlines a penalty for the ones who break it. And we are to pay attention to the message of the gospel because God's law is reliable and just. And the death of Jesus on the cross is the only sufficient payment for the consequences of not following the law. When you stand before God, you don't want... Look, when you stand before God, you don't want to say something like, God, I I hope you'll accept me because you're taking my whole life into account. You don't want what happens to you in judgment to be based on your guilt or your innocence. 
Based on the law, based on the law, we're all guilty. You remember that guy that came up to Jesus? It was like, what do I got to do? And Jesus is like, you, you've heard the commandments, you know, obey the commandments. The guy's like, well, I've kept those since I was. And number one, there he just broke one because he's lying. But, and, then, and then Jesus said, well, go, go and sell everything you got. And the guy goes away sad because that stuff's more important to him. You don't want to be saying, God, I hope you'll accept me because you're taking my whole life into account. Based on the law, we're all guilty. We've all sinned and broken the law. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that you don't want your whole life taken into account as the basis because you will be condemned. You want the work of Jesus on the cross to be what you stand on. You want to stand there in his righteousness having been imputed to you because you have repented of your sins and trusted in his completed work on the cross. That he died in your place for your sin, taking the wrath of God that you justly and rightly deserve upon himself and giving you his right standing before God. So when you stand there in judgment, God sees you as blood-bought, paid-for child of the king. You don't want to be saying, oh, take everything I've done into account and hope you'll let me in because of that. That's condemnation. We see through verses 3 and 4, if those who only had the law were held accountable, those who only had this message said, given by, or, you know, delivered by angels, uh, or sorry, declared by angels, and, and that old law sorry, the old covenant, the law of Moses, if they who only had that were held so accountable, every transgression, every disobedience, God is just retribution, how much more then will we be held accountable if we have this superior message about this superior Jesus that we've been talking about throughout the first chapter of Hebrews, how much more will we be held accountable if we neglect him if we neglect that message if we neglect this great salvation we will not escape when you neglect jesus you are neglecting your only escape from the punishment of god on you because of your sin and yet yet the scripture tells us and i I quoted that song earlier we are prone to wander we're prone to drift from the god we love this message of salvation the gospel was it just follow. I mean, it, we follow right along at verses three and four. It was declared first by the Lord. It was a message revealed by God Himself. It was attested to us by eyewitnesses. It was attested to us by those who had seen it. Remember that when Hebrews was written, there were eyewitnesses who had seen the resurrected Christ running around. The people. Most likely, not, not only had heard this, that there were still people running around who'd seen Jesus, but likely some of the people who were in the initial audience for this might have known some of those eyewitnesses who had seen the resurrected Christ. Do you realize that when we read the accounts in Scripture, we're reading eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who saw him raised, who saw the resurrected Christ, who were in a room... And it was locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus is with them. No doors required. We have eyewitness accounts. In our court system today, 
An eyewitness account's pretty highly valued, isn't it? Their testimony is crucial to the case. And we have a book of eyewitness accounts here. And those who heard and saw also wrote these things down, inspired by God. And God further bore witness to the truth of the message by the working of miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to believers as his will determines. See, the miracles in the Bible were not just miracles for miracles' sake. They were not just for shock and awe. Okay, They weren't just a laser show and a fog machine. They weren't just to impress people. That's not why they were there. The miracles were done specifically so that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. When people were healed, when the lame walked, it was so that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They were done to further confirm the truth of the message of the gospel. And the message was further confirmed by the Holy Spirit, giving spiritual gifts to each one who is a child of God. And this confirms the message is true, and it also edifies and builds up the church when we operate in our gifts. So we're all held accountable. So as we think about these things, the natural question, we we hear, pay attention, don't drift, right? Pay attention to the message, don't drift. I don't want to drift, right? Like we think, I really don't want to drift from the message. I don't want to drift away. So how do I protect against drift? That's kind of the third main point for you is, how do we protect against drift? What is the solution to this tendency, this being prone to wander, this being prone to drift away. The solution is in the very first verse of the warning when it says, pay attention. It's the title of the sermon, by the way. Kind of gave it all away. Pay attention. Paying closer attention to the gospel is how we keep from drifting. So how do you pay closer attention? What are we talking about here? glad you asked. I have some ideas for you. Richard Phillips says this, God's word, God's word is the anchor that secures our salvation and it is the rudder by which we safely steer the ship of our souls. Say that again. I think it's on the screen, but I'm going to say it again. God's word is the anchor that secures our salvation and it is the rudder by which we safely steer the ship of our souls. Number one, How do we protect against drift? Number one, we stay anchored to the message by being anchored in the word of God. We stay anchored to the message by being anchored in the word of God. Where are you at with your engagement with the Bible? Where are you at with your engagement with the word of God? I can tell you from scripture that when we depart from focusing on the message of Jesus, which is the focus of this book... When we depart from it, we will begin to drift. I can share that with you from scripture. I can share with you from personal experience that this is true. When I go through times where I'm not intention, and you've got to be intentional, okay? When I go through times where I'm not intentional about focusing on the study of the word, it shows up in the fruit of my life or the lack thereof. When I go through seasons, oh, by the way, as a pastor, 
I'm also still prone to wander, just like you are. And when I go through seasons where I'm having what I might call a dry spiritual spell, okay, try to make it sound all impressive, right? Oh, well, I'm just kind of dry right now. Yeah, what that means is I didn't spend enough time studying the word. Or I got out of the house, I got up late, or I didn't get up late and I spent too much time looking something stupid on the internet like Facebook or Twitter instead of focusing on the word. And when that happens, it happens a day, it happens another day, and then you find yourself doing something in your life and you're like, what is going on? Because you're drifting, because you're not paying attention. If we don't pay attention to our spiritual state, it will deteriorate. It will deteriorate. Think of Think of it like goldfish. We have some goldfish at my house, okay? And if you don't feed the goldfish for long enough and you don't change the water, they deteriorate, right? And then the air in your house deteriorates because it starts to stink, right? Then you have a burial at sea in the bathroom, right? You have to feed it. We have to feed our spiritual state. We have to feed our sanctification with the word of God. It's the tool by which God grows us to be more like him. I would just stay anchored in the word. So number one was we stay anchored in the message by being anchored in the word of God. Number two, stay anchored in church, at a church that will encourage you in the word. Stay anchored in a church that will encourage you in the word. Active membership in a local church is biblical. Now you may say, well, pastor, I don't, you know, I, I don't have anything about voting people into membership or whatever. I haven't seen that before. Well, I say this because here's, and we, by the way, if you question or you want to know anything about that, we've got lots of resources out on the book table for you. When you grab your Mother's Day card, grab that too. I don't know how you can obey all of the one another commands in the New Testament. We'll just, let's just take the New Testament. Um, but I don't know how you obey all of the one another commands without being an active part of a local church. Here's the thing. All of us here today and those who are watching online have to decide if we really believe the message of Jesus. We have to decide if we really believe that this is, this is sufficient. That this is enough. We say, well, pastor, we're sitting here in church. Great, I can go sit in a garage too, and that doesn't make me a BMW. We have to decide if we really believe the message of Jesus, and here's why. And those of you who, you say, you know, I've, I've, I've committed to Christ, I believe the gospel, I've repented of my sins... But we've got to decide, are we going to pay closer attention? Are we going all in on this? Because the world is shipping out message after message that conflict with the gospel. Message after message comes and sometimes they seem like maybe they aren't that far off. They seem like maybe they wouldn't hurt to sort of be okay with. But that is a high danger. The risk is great. And guys, I'm not talking about secondary or tertiary issues here, okay? 
I fear that so many people in our churches have been living day in and day out, saying that they follow Jesus, coming to church, maybe even doing stuff at church, and then they go out in their day and they do nothing to pay attention to their own spiritual condition, and they are drifting. Are you drifting? Are you drifting this morning? Friends, there is real, true, eternal danger here. And I just want to jump out in front of people and yell at them, Stop! You're going to go over the cliff. And that's a good inclination. I see people, I see people uh, post things on social media, or I hear conversations, or I hear a, a, a clip on a podcast of something somebody said, and I want to jump out in front of them and say, Stop! And it's a good inclination. But what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is not exactly that. What he's talking about here is for you to pay attention, for you to be warned to pay attention so you don't drift away, lest we tell other people not to drift away and we're so busy doing that that we're not noticing that we've drifted from the message. He's warning us about us. You get that? He's warning you about you. About your passivity. About my passivity. I can't say it. Passivity. About our passiveness in our spiritual life. About our tendency to wander away. He's warning us about us. So we must look internally. Take stock of our hearts and our relationship with the Lord. Friends, I hang out with a lot of pastors. You're probably thinking that's probably a good thing since you're a pastor. Some pastors don't get to hang out with a lot of pastors. Uh, Pastoring can be really, really lonely, I'll just tell you. It can be a very, very lonely um, ministry, pastoring, for various reasons, and they don't apply to this, so I won't go into it, but it can be a lonely thing. But I hang out with a lot of pastors, and we talk about some, what the last 25 months have been like in our churches. People we've watched have drifted. You see this. When people were hindered from coming to church, right, they were hindered providentially, uh, their own lack of paying attention to the true message of the gospel became more and more evident, and then we see that some never returned to church. Some have drifted. We see others who, maybe they were still part of the church, maybe before 25, maybe four years ago you knew somebody who came to church and just gradually, all of a sudden, they stopped coming to church and you thought, well, maybe they went somewhere else. And then you run into them a couple of years later and you're like, hey, what's going on? And where are you going to church down? And they're like, yeah, we're not really going anywhere. Some simply faded away. Why? Because Left alone, left alone, our spiritual condition will deteriorate. We need each other. We need the church. The amount of people we have seen fade away from churches the last couple of years, I'm afraid, have shown that we've not done a good job individually of paying close attention to our spiritual condition as we are commanded to in Scripture. The second Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. And 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. 
Friends, we got to get to the point where we realize that to follow the world is to reject Christ. And we've got to stay anchored in the world. Or sorry, anchored in the word. Holy cow. We've got to stay anchored in the word. In the word of God. Because the world wants to grab that rope of your anchor and pull you towards it. Stay anchored in the word of God. Stay anchored with the body of Christ. In the introduction, I uh, mentioned one of my favorite hymns. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward at this time. Um, in the introduction, I mentioned one of my favorite hymns, Come Not Fountain. Warren Wiersbe wrote this about that song. He said, the next time you sing, Come Not Fountain of Every Blessing... Recall that the composer, Robert Robinson, was converted under the mighty preaching of George Whitfield, but that later he drifted from the Lord. He had been greatly used as a pastor, but neglect of spiritual things led him astray. In an attempt to find peace, he began to travel. During one of his journeys, he met a young woman who was evidently very spiritually minded. What do you think of this hymn I have been reading, she asked Robinson, handing him the book. By the way, did you know people do that? They read hymns. They read hymns for edification. I, I would encourage you, like, grab one of those old hymn books if you got one laying around or look some of them up, some old hymns that you remember singing, and look those up. Some of them are great. Some of them maybe have not the greatest doctrine in them. But a lot of them are amazing, okay, because they taught through the stanzas and everything. And, and I, I have a friend, and he will read those for his own spiritual edification. Really, really cool. Um, and to see how they, you know, how they wrote them out of scripture. and everything. Anyway, sorry, that's a whole other free thing. So she says, what, what do you think of this hymn I've been reading? She asked Robinson. She hands him the book. She was reading his own hymn. He tried to avoid her question, but it was hopeless for the Lord was speaking to him. Finally, he broke down and confessed who he was and how he had been living away from the Lord. But these streams of mercy are still flowing, the woman assured him. And through her encouragement, Robinson was restored to fellowship with the Lord. This guy wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I fear it. Prone, or feel it, prone to leave, leave the God I love. He had written that years before, and then he neglected spiritual things even as a pastor. And God used someone in his life and brought him back. Friends, you may feel this morning like you're drifting, like you've come unmoored, like your anchor's kind of dragging along on the bottom as you're pulled by a really strong current. I want to tell you, just come back, repent. <laughs> just repent. See, that's the secret that I think sometimes gets overlooked sometimes in some of our, our, our preaching and teaching and stuff is this. You, you've likely not done it perfectly because you're still a sinner. I've not done it perfectly. But the secret I used to tell my teenagers when I was a youth pastor for all those years is the secret is that you come back. So yeah, you missed a day in your Bible. You missed a week in your Bible. You missed a month. Great. Come back today. 
welcome back today. Repent of your sin and believe the good news that Jesus' death was sufficient for every disobedience, for every trespass, for every transgression. We have a greater, a greater Savior, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than anything or anyone else. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to ask that you work it into our hearts today. Press it into us. Don't let us go out of here and forget it. Grant us to believe in this in this generation where there's such toxic unbelief in the air, the air that we breathe even. Give us the gift of faith. Let those who are here, let us be those who who trust the gospel, who pay closer and closer attention to the message that we have heard and believed. Help us take you at your word. I want to pray especially for the young folks among us, the young people. God, let them see through the cynicism in our day, in the times that we live in, and and grant them an embrace of the gospel. Help us embrace wholeheartedly the true gospel. Let them and let us walk in those old paths of faith and cling to the cross as our only hope in life or death. Because that's you, Jesus, our only hope in life or death. I ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing one final song to you.